This is Eric Zolke, editor of the Population Reference Bureau. Joining me on the phone is Susan Cutter, a distinguished professor of geography at the University of South Carolina, where she directs the Hazards and Vulnerability Research Institute. Dr. Cutter researches what makes people and the places they live vulnerable to extreme events, such as hurricanes or tornadoes, and how vulnerability and resilience are measured, monitored, and assessed. She's led field studies following disasters such as the September 11th World Trade Center attacks and Hurricane Katrina. Dr. Cutter serves on many national advisory boards and committees, including those of the National Research Council, the National Science Foundation, and the Natural Hazard Center. She is also a lead author on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Special Report chapter called Managing the Risks of Extreme Events and Disasters to Advance Climate Change Adaptation. Today, we'll talk about disaster vulnerability and resilience and how these are measured and how their measurement helps inform decisions on disaster preparedness and recovery. Hello, Susan. Thank you for taking the time to talk today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. So just to start off, what makes people and places vulnerable to natural hazards? Well, there are two factors that one has to consider when you look at vulnerability. The first one has to do with the natural environment itself. That is, where are we exposed to certain natural events? Do we live along the coastlines? Do we live in floodplains, along rivers, or do we live in in seismic areas? So one part of the equation is um, the natural system, uh, the natural environment. The second part of the issue relates to the composition and the demography of the people uh, who live in these areas. And we know that there are certain types of population characteristics that make some social groups more vulnerable to natural hazards than others. In particular, it would be things like wealth. Um, The lack of wealth makes some people more uh, vulnerable than others. Uh, We also see age. Um, The very, very young tend to be more vulnerable to natural disasters, as are the elderly, for example. But how do you measure this vulnerability, and then how does knowing the level of vulnerability help communities prevent or prepare for disasters? Well, if we're talking about the physical environment, this is often done through uh, mapping of your vulnerable areas, um, delineating flood zones, delineating seismic areas. If you're looking at social vulnerability, the sensitivity question, then one of the, the ways in which this is done is the development of social vulnerability indices. And these are often quantitative measures that allow us to compare places using the same types of uh, data, underlying data. And so what kind of uh, uh, measurements or indicators are are these indices made up of? The one index that has been used in, in the U.S. is called the Social Vulnerability Index or SOVI, and this is an index that uses 32 or so different census variables for counties in the U.S. Uh, The index was based originally on on field studies, on after-disaster research about 
why some places were more vulnerable to certain extreme events than others. And from that, we were able to develop the statistical index that gives us some measure of the pre-existing vulnerability in U.S. counties. And so which areas of the U.S. are most vulnerable to disasters? I mean, you mentioned um, areas prone to earthquakes or uh, flood mm-hmm. zones, I guess. Those areas are, are most vulnerable from the physical standpoint, but when you look at those areas, the social vulnerability, it's actually less. Uh, the areas with the greatest social vulnerability in the United States in particular are areas along the Mississippi Delta area, along the Mississippi River, for example. There are places in the traditional um, African-American cotton belt in the south that come up quite high on the social vulnerability index. We also see places in the central part of the U.S. that come out relatively high on the social vulnerability index as a consequence of two factors. One, Native American lands in these regions, but also the in-situ aging of the population. So there's a strong elderly population in the northern Great Plains that live in rural environments that are on fixed incomes. And these people are equally socially vulnerable because when that disaster strikes, they have very little capacity to prepare for, respond to, and recover from the disaster. What about other countries? Uh, Are there other examples of countries that assess social vulnerability to natural hazards? We have seen a couple of examples in uh, Portugal and in Norway that are using the social vulnerability index or a variant of it and trying to replicate what we've done for the U.S. uh, in those uh, countries. And it seems to, to work, and it does provide a nice comparative picture of the relative levels of social vulnerability based on some administrative uh, unit. In the case of Portugal, I believe they did it on municipalities. And in uh, Norway, they did it on the equivalent of, of their equivalent of counties. I want to ask you about resilience. Um, you know, what does it mean to say that a community has disaster resilience? And how can we tell which communities or groups within communities can recover from natural disaster? And then using that information can that be used to, you know, in rebuilding efforts like in Haiti or New Orleans, for instance? Resilience is a concept that is taking, um, has, a, has a great deal of interest now among uh, state and federal agencies. Resilience, broadly defined, is the ability of people or localities to absorb and recover from hazards in a timely manner that includes the the restoration of their basic structures and and functions within that that community. One of the the interesting aspects of resilience is it's not just the opposite of vulnerability, that there are some factors on resilience that have really nothing to do with vulnerability. And as we look at resilience, it's very difficult to figure out 
how we actually measure resilience. Because oftentimes, resilience includes an element of capacity. What is the capacity of this community to recover in the long term? How do these communities learn socially? Uh, what kind of social learning goes on? And so these are some of the, the interesting questions that we're now wrestling with, which is how do we develop equivalent metrics for assessing resilience? How do we know when we've become resilient? And is the resilience to what and resilience for whom? And these are all very interesting questions that the community is now trying to, trying to wrestle with. Well, finally, I just I wanted to ask you how these issues, you know, like social vulnerability and resilience, um, how this plays into climate change adaptation. Is there any research, uh, any new findings from current research on this? What we're seeing is there's a, a transfer of knowledge in terms of by understanding the pre-existing vulnerability, we can assess the capacity of individuals and, and communities to prepare for, respond to, and recover from extreme events, whether that extreme event is a short-term event like an earthquake or a hurricane or a longer-term event like climate change, the same principle is in place. And if you look at the long run in climate change adaptation, if you are resilient to disasters in the short run, you will, in fact, be able to adapt to climate change in the long run. And that's where we see the linkage between the two. Well, it was very interesting. Thank you. Uh, thank you again for taking the time to talk today. You're welcome. It was my pleasure.